Welcome to the Women Crush Wednesdays podcast from New York Women in Film and Television, where we feature fun and informative conversations with women working in the entertainment industry, preview upcoming events, and highlight the accomplishments of our members. My name is Katie Chambers, and I'm the Director of Community Engagement at NYWIFT. I'm proud to co-host the podcast today with the one and only Tammy Reese, the founder of Visionary Minds Public Relations and Media, and one of our regular NYWIFT podcast contributors. Hi, Tammy. Hi, Katie. It's so fun to be here with you again, co-hosting. I think this is our second time co-hosting together. Oh, so, yeah. We get to be the, the fest. I think we're the official festival correspondents. And today we are talking all things Tribeca. Uh, the 2022 Tribeca Festival starts today, June 8th, and runs through June 19th. Tribeca is pretty much the biggest film event, I think, in New York City every year. And it feels especially meaningful, I think, to have it this year while we're on year three of a pandemic, given that Tribeca was founded after 9-11 to try to revitalize the city after that tragedy, it's really rooted in bringing the community together. And you'll notice that when I started this, I said Tribeca Festival in my intro and not Tribeca Film Festival. That's right. The festival has a new name this year, which reflects how the festival has grown and changed over the last few years. It's not just films anymore. It's talks and music, podcasts, video games, and immersive experiences. Katie, I actually just interviewed the festival director and VP of programming, Kira Cusimano, where she talks about just that. You can read that on our Nightwith blog. Yeah, that's a great conversation, and we've got that out there now. Um, like with Sundance, Tammy and I are both excited to cover Tribeca this year on behalf of NYWIFT, both today on the podcast as well as on our blog, like Tammy said, in the coming weeks. You can find that on our website at nywift.org slash blog, or it's also under the news tab. Now, I've been to a couple of Tribeca events here and there over the last few years, usually would get a free ticket here and there, be a plus one, but I've never officially fully been to the festival with a full pass like this before. Have you, Tammy? No, I have not ever had a full pass. I've covered Tribeca in 2019 under the Visionaries Minds brand, but I had the lowest press pass possible. And I'm so honored to be a part of NYWIF and have the opportunity to cover the festival yet again with a full pass. I'm just so, I'm bursting out the seams, Katie, with joy. So exciting. And I'm so glad that the festival is back in person this year, at least partially. I know that they're doing, you know, the full festival, but then in person, but then they also do have some at-home options as well for people that would be more comfortable with that. It feels like the perfect mix as we go into year three of COVID. Um, so far, I have tickets for this weekend to see American Dreamer, which is a new comedy with Peter Dinklage and Shirley MacLaine. I love both of them, especially Peter Dinklage. So I'm very excited for that one. Uh, that one I'm just seeing for fun for myself. And then um, online, I'm going to watch Endangered, which is a new documentary that's described as a sobering look at the erosion of democracy and freedom of the press in the United States and abroad. So I'm going from, you know, peak comedy to <laughs> intense documentary, which feel, feels appropriate. Uh, Endangered is directed by NYWIFT members Heidi Ewing and Rachel Brady. And then I also plan to check out my love affair with marriage, which we actually gave the NYWIFT Ravenel Foundation feature film grant to a year or so ago. Uh, my love affair with marriage is member Signe Bauman's animated film for adults, 
which uses music and science to examine the biological chemistry of love and gender, as well as the societal pressures on an individual to conform to social expectations, especially those that are put upon young girls about marriage. So it sounds really cool and experimental and interesting. What are you looking forward to at the festival, Tammy? Oh my gosh, Katie, it is so much to choose from. Some of the at-home programs actually I'm looking forward to is the Big Payback. Um, I saw that Sheila Jackson Lee is a part and Erica Alexander was an actress from Living Single. I also heard that Bill Bellamy had a stand-up in the showcase for the at-home. There's a lot of in-person panel events I'm looking forward to. Tyler Perry, Pharrell, I know they're doing a heat. Um, reunion with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Um, there's also a lot of free um, panels that's going to take place during Tribeca this year as well. So I'm excited for the interactive in-person aspects. Um, but it's so many in-person film screenings in at home. There's gaming, immersive. There's just so much to choose from. There's a lot happening. And it sounds like an amazing lineup. And this year we have so many NYWIFT members at the festival. When we last counted, I think we're up now to 33 members with 33 projects at the festival. It's quite possible that by the time this airs, we will realize that there are even more. And I don't want to go record on saying that that's a record for us, but I mean, it's been the biggest number of members that I've personally seen at the Tribeca Festival. So I do suspect it might be a record for us this year. This is just so great. And we're just so proud of everyone in our community who have projects in this year's festival. And I had the chance to talk to some of the members in a roundtable discussion that we can share with you now. Yes, four of those 33 NYWIFT members at Tribeca are NYWIFT board members, and they talk to you about the festival. We have President Jamie Zellermeyer, who attends with her podcast, I Was Never There. Alex Cirillo, who produced the Derek Jeter TV series, The Captain, for ESPN. Leslie Fields Cruz, who is the executive director of Black Public Media, which supported four different festival projects, including After Sherman and Hazing, and Audrey Rosenberg, who produced the documentary Katrina Babies. Let's listen in now to Tammy's conversation with the NYWIFT board members. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to the NYWIFT Women Crush Wednesday podcast. I'm Tammy Reese. We want to send a very special congratulations to all the night with members included in the 2022 Tribeca Festival lineup. We are thrilled to see over 30 members of our community attending the festival with projects this year. I have the high honor to chat with some of those visionary creators today who not only have projects showcasing at the Tribeca Festival this year, but are also on our night with board of directors. to be here with you all today. I'm Tammy Reese. I'm one of the podcast team members. And hello, board members. Congratulations on all your projects being featured at the Tribeca Festival this year. How amazing is that, right? Thank you. Thank you you so much, Tammy. It's really, it's great to be here and, and awesome to talk to you. Yes, I would love to start with our Night with Board member, Board President, Jamie. She is the project creator, host, executive producer of I Was Never There, which is in the audio storytelling category. I Was Never There takes a trip into the countercultural movements swirling through West Virginia in the 1970s and 80s. Jamie, please tell us about I Was Never There. 
Um, I Was Never There is a podcast that I've been working on for about two and a half years. So I'm very excited to premiere it at Tribeca next week. We are also launching episodes one through three on the same day as it launches through Tribeca. And people can hear it anywhere they listen to their podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or any of their other preferred platforms. And uh, for many years, I really wanted to tell this story of uh, a time and a place, which was really important to my upbringing, which was West Virginia in the 1970s. And uh, really this back to the land movement where my parent, when my parents really felt like they just had to make a change. The world was just really messed up. There was a corrupt president. There was um, all environmental issues, capitalism, and they were just like, we got to try a different way. So they moved back to the land off the grid to Braxton County, West Virginia. And we realized that we couldn't tell that story without telling the story of a very close friend of my parents uh, named Marsha Mud Ferber, who disappeared in 1988, who owned these very important sort of cultural change music venues in Morgantown. Um, and she was a risk taker and a entrepreneur and uh, also a back to the lander who always sold pot to kind of keep her ventures going and um, maybe got in a little over her head. And um, so that's sort of, that's what the podcast is about. And there's also this mother-daughter theme. My mom and I are co-hosts, which is, has just been really wonderful. Is this your first time at Tribeca? I've had other things pass through Tribeca. This is my first podcast. So this is the first thing that I've really created myself that's at Tribeca and also the first podcast that I've ever made. Wow. How outstanding. Leslie, another night with board member. You have quite a few projects at Tribeca this year. Inner Wound Grill, After Sherman and Hazing. Where do you want to start? Congratulations on all three projects. Hi. Well, let me just clarify that they're not my projects, but they are projects that Black Public Media has funded. And, and really for us, it's a coup to have three projects that we've supported um, in Tribeca Film Festival. And I'll just say, um, in regards to Inner Wound Real, Carrie Hawks, they participated in our 360 incubator and uh, as well as our Pitch Black Forum. And, you know, they, they got the gold in terms of the Pitch Black Forum. We funded their project. And I'm just so delighted that uh, Inner Wound Real has made it to, um, to Tribeca. And then again, for um, after Sherman, John Sestry Goff, his project actually was funded through our Jackie Jones Memorial Scholarship Fund. And that was named um, in honor of our second executive director, Jackie Jones, who unfortunately uh, passed away um, in 2017. And so we're just really um, uh, thankful and grateful that we were able to support um, John's film. And now it's in uh, <laughs> it's in Tribeca. And then, of course, Byron Hurt, his film um, Hazing, which uh, BPM has funded early early on in, in its research and development, we came on uh, and supported this project and he's been working on it for a while. And Byron is an amazing maker. We've actually supported several of his films over the years. And, um, you know, he's he has given back to Black Public Media. He's been a mentor for our 360 fellows. And so I'm just excited and elated that Hazing is part of the Tribeca Film Festival. 
Well, our whole community is excited as well. Congratulations again, Leslie. Thank Alex, 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 the captain. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to attend this because I will be there that day. Um, please tell us about captain. I know it's subject about Derek Jeter, correct? That's correct. And I very much hope you can uh, get a same day rush ticket. We sold out the 913 seat theater in oh hours. Uh, so I, I very much hope that that you can get a rush ticket because I'd love for you to be there as well. And yeah, exactly like you said, uh, the captain is about Derek Jeter. It's a uh, what was supposed to be a six part series for ESPN, but they just announced at the upfronts last month that they bought a seventh episode. So it's now a seven hour film revealing the man behind the icon, Derek Jeter. Um, it chronicles his five-time, uh, his journey as a five-time world champion with the New York Yankees and explores a much larger cultural story about race, family, and community. So it's going to get a lot um, deeper, I think, than people are expecting. And Derek is indeed an icon, and he's also doing a Q&A after the screening. Yes, Derek and the director, Randy Wilkins, are going to participate in a panel Q&A uh, following the screening. And we're going to have another event um, for anyone who's not able to attend the Tribeca screening on July 7th at Yankee Stadium. We're going to screen the first two episodes there. Um, tickets aren't available just yet, but they will be available to the public because what we really wanted with that event is to engage the community in the Bronx. Our director, Randy, is born and raised in the Bronx. Obviously, the Yankees are the team of the Bronx, and we really wanted to engage that community. So we'll be having a very large screening with a couple thousand people on July 7th there at Yankee Stadium. How epic, how epic indeed. Audrey, Katrina babies. No one can ever forget Hurricane Katrina, those who lived through it. How powerful and, and devastating it must be to have to relive this moment. Please tell us about your thought process and what sparked you to do this documentary. Absolutely. So we're approaching the 16-year anniversary of Katrina this August and will be broadcast on HBO um, around the time of the anniversary. The The filmmaker is actually from New Orleans and was the Katrina baby himself. And as he sort of, I think he's he was been working on it for about six or seven years, and he, I think that he did, he had never really been asked about his own story. And I think when he realized that he started to make a connection between the young people that he was teaching because he became a teacher in New Orleans and also his peers. So these are kids who were three to 19 during the time of Katrina. And what he discovered was that nobody ever really asked them what happened to them and nobody ever really uh, address their trauma or had a way of processing what had happened to them and also to their city, which I think the film does an incredible job of showing you um, not only the trauma and destruction of what occurred during the storm and after the storm, but also the reverberation of it that's still happening today in terms of the community there and how they haven't been serviced and how the disbursement of Black people and the like disconnection of their neighborhoods and because of gentrification and other reasons has created, you know, a lot of issues that are really urgently need to be addressed. 
what, what I'll say about the film and why it's so exciting to world premiere Tribeca and be in competition is, you know, a lot of love went into this film. Uh, it was Buck's dream. Uh, Edward Buckles Jr. is the director. It was his dream to be on HBO. We also partnered with Kudi and Chike, who are his mentors um, at Creative Control. And they brought us into Time Studios, who's our other partner. And so we just have a dream team of people supporting this um, artistically. You know, it's a lot of archival. It's these incredible interviews he did with these young people over many years. There is amazing animation. Um, and so I think it's really not only about trauma, but it's also about the double-edged sword of resilience, um, especially in relation to the Black community and specifically um, in the aftermath of Katrina. And what I mean by that is how is resilience used in this country against people? And then how can people use it and own it themselves in a way that is, you know, healing and incredible? And I think in the film, what's wonderful is that you see both. And I, I just have to say that it's been a total privilege to produce this film and to be among these people, even if it was just watching footage and to really experience their resilience and them owning their own stories and telling their own stories and really showing the strength and survival. And then I think it really also highlights the responsibility that we all have to not use resilience against people and to really make sure that we're listening and telling authentic stories and then also really confronting what is a microcosm of America here and what is happening and not happening for people in terms of servicing and, you know, healing. Wow, I, I got chills just listening to you speak. Thank you, Audrey, for sharing that. For anyone out there that's listening who aspires to have their work showcased at Tribeca Festival, which is co-founded by Jane Rosenthal and Robert De Niro, what advice would you have for them? Let's start with you, Audrey. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they have to do a lot of research about festivals and what's going on with festivals these days because they have shifted. Tribeca is an incredible festival. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, any way that people can meet programmers or people involved directly with Tribeca Film Festival is a, is an excellent, you know, way to to understand the, you know, the way to get your film in or your podcast or whatever it may be. I think every project is different and every project belongs in different places in the world. So it's difficult to answer exactly, but I would say no stone unturned, you know, like if you really feel like your film or your piece belongs in Tribeca, talk to anyone and everyone you can and do everything that you can to advocate for your piece. And I think that they really do as much of a fair sort of assessment of projects as possible. And obviously they get incredible number of submissions. So also I would advise not to be too discouraged because there is a tremendous amount of competition in festivals. Um, and Tribeca is just amazing. It's the New York one. I love it. Um, or one of the New York ones, because New York Film Festival is also excellent. But say like research, talk to people, look at the films that have been there before. Those are my main suggestions. You answered perfectly. How about you, Jamie? Yeah, I would say that's, I think looking at what's been there before is really important. And thinking about what festivals are looking for or what's current, you know, I think thinking about why your festival would, why your film or project would be a good fit and sort of who does it speak to and because festivals do go through cycles of thematic you know they, they they go through cycles of themes I think um so just thinking does this fit in and I agree just 
emailing everyone you know and just keep keep trying, sometimes even submitting late if you have those connections. It just depends on the relationships. Alex, how about you? What advice would you give? I'd say that you need to write a personal and authentic application um, that really makes your project stand out and shows that you've done your homework about you know, why your project is a good fit for this festival. Um, and obviously on, only the programmers know that. You can't know that better than the programmers do. Um, but like uh, someone said earlier, there's a home for every project and you shouldn't be submitting to festivals that your project is not right for. Um, but at the end of the day, while a, a well-written and, and personal application is important, really your film needs to speak for itself. So my my biggest advice is make a good film. Um, <laughs> that's how you get into festivals um, and really don't get discouraged. Uh, you will get rejections. Obviously, everybody in this industry knows you're, you're going to get a lot of no's before you get a yes. Um, and don't hesitate to, to resubmit. You know, there are times where I got, I got rejected one year and then accepted the following. Um, so it, you don't give up and don't get discouraged um, and, and make great work. I love it. I love it. 2018, I applied for press credentials for Tribeca and I got denied. 2019, I applied and then I got accepted. <laughs> and now I'm accepted again to cover the festival. So even with creators whose work is being showed, if you heard no, definitely don't give up. That's great advice, Alex. Thank you. Hey, you gotta keep fighting. <laughs> gotta keep it up for sure. Leslie, how about you? Um, I, I really, you know, can't say much more than what my colleagues have um, have just said about festivals, but I will say, especially for uh, BIPOC makers and and with content that is focusing on you know BIPOC communities, really be intentional about your festival strategy and decide where you want your your piece to show. Um, sometimes everybody thinks, oh, you know, I'm going to get into the big festival. But if your project and if your piece is really, you really want it to connect to a very specific community or people who are, you know, living in a, in, in, in a um, you know, region in the United States or internationally, then focus your efforts on trying to get it there because eventually you want your project to be seen, but you also want, if you want it to have an impact, you got to make sure you're trying to get it to the people who, who will who will benefit from that impact. So that's uh, that's the only other addition to what everyone else has said that I'll add. Audrey, Alex, Leslie, Jamie, thank you all for your valued time today. Congratulations on this year's festival. We are thank so you. proud of you all. Thank you thank so you. much, Tammy. You're wonderful to talk to. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. I had a blast. Keep up the great work. See you at Tarabeka. Bye, everyone. Bye. Tammy, it was so great to hear about these projects. And for me personally, as a NIWIP staff member who works closely with the board, I've known some of these incredible women now for years, and I am so proud to see them all at the festival together with this diverse and interesting group of projects. It's such a wonderful testament to their talent. I love that you said proud because I told them during the interview, I was proud of them as well, along with our entire NIWIF community, and I'm inspired by them as well. I love that their projects is meaningful. They're showcasing icons or history or social impact awareness issues. And it was just an honor to speak with all of our board members about their projects in Tribeca. And now before we go, we have a new Meet the Member segment. 
Today, we meet Luque Costello, who is the founder and executive director and board president of Sparks Film Collaborative. Luque is an artist, filmmaker, editor, VFX artist, and ser serial social entrepreneur with 15 plus years of experience fostering artistic collaboration and producing public events in Western New York. She is a member of NYWIFT and also the Film Festival Alliance. She also represents Spark Filmmakers Collaborative as an organizational partner of Partnership for Public Good. Here is Janine McGaudrick's conversation with Lupia Costello. Hi, Lucia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love highlighting our members. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do within the entertainment industry? I am a Ukrainian-American documentary filmmaker. I am pretty much, I would say, more on the independent grassroots level. Um, I predominantly create short films that are, I would say, micro short films, so up to about five minutes long. However, I have done short documentary films that have been up to like 16, 20 minutes. And, you know, it's just whatever project comes my way or inspires me, I kind of let the, the content dictate the, um, the duration. Everything I do is about connecting human beings and um, fostering this idea that maybe we've lost track of, that we are not that different from each other. And one of the things that I believe very strongly is that our stories connect us. And when we share our stories, we see ourselves in each other. So for example, if I share one of my short films is called Osterbiter. It's three minutes long and it has to do with um, the whole point of it is to try to connect people and this idea that when you see a very difficult person out there, like mean or emotional that there's something behind it you know there's trauma behind it so mm -hmm. like helping people move through life with a with some trauma awareness is is one of my goals and is that what inspired you to create the spark filmmakers collaborative tell us about that spark filmmakers collaborative started initially with a Micromania Film Festival, which I started with my then business partner, Tilkey Hill, who has recently passed, sadly. I started Micromania Film Festival to highlight the artistry of films five minutes and under, and to, you know, because I had taken actually this Osterbiter short film to Santa Fe Film Festival, and I noticed that a film that's like this duration, like, really, it's not going to compete against a short film that's like 15, 20, 45 minutes long. Mm -hmm. They're apples and oranges. It's a completely different form, Yeah. right? And so as like I was developing this idea in 2019, we had the, the first event. And then I started to realize that films five minutes and under obviously cost less to produce and that anyone with like a video-enabled device, some guidance and encouragement, could do so so that like opens the opportunity for any voice like any gender any like income level etc cetera, etc cetera. everyone to share their voices and stories by short micro short films and so 
micromania has expanded in this way and it's international, but we also have incorporated workshops and filmmaker chats showing, you know, like the same sort of stuff NIWIF does. Like right. Showing creators that are from all different communities in order to inspire, inspire more creators from those communities. So Micromania Film Festival is really more than just a single evening or a single opportunity to screen a micro short film. We're really trying to develop more opportunities for filmmakers to one, um, build their audiences, gain experience, resume building experiences, connect with each other. And one of the things that we started in the spring of 2020 when, you know, we figured people were looking for things to watch. So we started the Micromania channel, which is micromaniafilms.com, which features a lot of the accepted films from 2019 to 2020, actually through 2022. There's some new ones there too. And we're nearly at 1 million views since wow. our launch in, in spring of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyone who's accepted into Micromania, it's a couple step process. Your film is officially accepted, and then you receive an invitation to stream on our channel. We notice that films are getting more views in aggregate than on their own, particularly at this in this duration. And then your film advances to our finalist round, which is the more juried po portion, which determines what films show during the film festival itself. Mm -hmm. But once you're an accepted Micromania filmmaker, even if your film doesn't show during the film festival, we still have other opportunities like encore screenings. For example, we're going to bring back some of the 2019 best of 2019-2020 films mm -hmm. through 2021 films during this year's festival. Because why not? We're not like, you know, we're not an industry. We're not, we don't have to compete in the same way. We can like try to bring as much exposure to these films as we possibly can. Yeah, that, that's wonderful that you're providing that service. And you had mentioned that it's very similar to uh, what Nine With does. That leads into my next question. Why did you become a member of NIWIFT? We all need a community, right? Like we need mm -hmm. to know that um, we need to speak with people who have been where we've been before, who who might um, find some connection with what we're working on and have like suggestions of other people we should talk to. I mean, it's really hard to do creative work in a void. You need a community. You need people to bounce your ideas off of. You need to meet people in person and interact and like test test out your pitching and your ideas. So uh, I joined NIWIS for that reason. And I'm based in Buffalo, New York. So while I don't necessarily get to go to in-person events in New York City, I still attend like virtual events. And mm -hmm. I love it. I think it's wonderful and supportive. Yeah, it definitely is. I think community is the first word that a lot of people say when we talk about why they join NIWIF and what they get out of it. And especially during the pandemic, the increased virtual programming that they've been doing has it's been wonderful in keeping that community together. Before we sign off, what interesting fact about you can you tell us that maybe other people don't know about you? I was a Ukrainian American Girl Scout in the PLAST P-L-A-S-T scouting organization. And believe it or not, there are 
three Ukrainian scouting organizations. I actually only learned about the third one recently. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. I, I was a Girl Scout and I still have my sash with all of my badges on it. I keep it with pride. Oh, that's nice. We're going to have a list of all of your links to your website and to Spark in our show notes. But if there's anything, any of your work that you would like to direct people to check out, um, where would they be able to find you? Um, Micromania Film Festival is still accepting submissions until June 10th and our fee is like... $15 for a film five minutes and under, $8 for a film two minutes, up to two minutes in length duration. Um, we also are about to announce all our film festival events, Micromania Film Festival 2022, which is taking place over the course of September with virtual events, in-person screenings all over the city of Buffalo, including our opening event, which is the Hodinoshone micro short film festival which is curated and hosted by Seneca filmmaker Terry Jones. Um, let me just say one last thing about Spark. Spark intends to act as like a conduit for um, underrepresented voices. Mm -hmm. So our primary event is this Haudenosaunee program and this we're in our second year and it's doing exactly what we wanted like open up conversations about what filmmaking is like for filmmaking is like from their perspective like the challenges that and triumphs they have faced like in the industry itself and uh, it actually opens up like an encore event at a different location and we also we paid on the screening fee so we're always trying to find oh. ways to like pay screening fees as well we're still young we're starting to get grants so I really want to be able to do that yeah that's great so thank you so much for being on the podcast you're welcome thank you so much for your time and the work that you're doing as well and thanks to NYLIFT for being a resource It's so great to hear about members who are creating spaces for artists to come together, collaborate and support each other. Networking is so important and short films are such a great art form for expression and so accessible. Yes, and I love that Lukia is like advocating for short films. Um, a lot of people who aspire to be filmmakers may think that they have to start with an hour long film right out the gate and know to make a three minute, five minute or under project and still be a filmmaker. Yeah, it's a really it's a really great limit to put on yourself to force you to think creatively and, and really um, adhere to a certain format. Well, with that, I think it's time for us to get back to Tribeca. Tammy, are you ready? I'm so ready, Katie. Yes, it's so much fun and so much to do. We got to be sure to pace ourselves. Thank you, as always, for tuning into NYWIF's Women Crush Wednesdays. Please be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please give us a good rating and leave a review. It helps more listeners find their way to us. If you'd like to share your story or nominate someone for our NYWIF member spotlight, please email us at communications at Until next time, keep on crushing it.